Hello, Line Click Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Line Click Thoughts Podcast. Uh, before we get into the episode, I just want to say I hope you all are doing well during this. You know, I know we've been in quarantine for quite some time, but just want to wish you all the best. Hope you're doing well, and I hope that, you know, that you're all learning something, or at least you're learning about yourselves and taking the time to rest and relax and reset, you know. I think that time is very much needed, and I think for industry professionals right now, this is a good time, if any, if you are able to do that. Um, but in this episode, I get to interview Chef Quincy Randolph. He is the pop-up chef and culinary director of R&D Coffee, which is located in Roanoke, Virginia. And the reason I wanted to have him on is, well, I'll give you some backstory. Quincy and I first connected when I first started the uh, Line Cook Thoughts page, maybe a month into it. Um, so he was there from the very beginning, and it was really cool because I got to see him transition from uh, being a line cook, uh, one of the best restaurants in Chicago, to opening his own restaurant, uh, which, you know, I just stated R&D Coffee. Uh, and in this episode, we talk a little bit about his career before, before that, and then we start to really get into that. And um, I really just want uh, his story to be a lesson or an example of that, you know, it really doesn't matter what age you are or how much um, experience you think you need in the industry. If you have a great idea and you have the right support and you have the determination to learn as you go, you can be successful. And, you know, even during this time, I think he's going to be so successful with his venture. I mean, you think about coffee and you think about the many ways it can be distributed across the nation. And he's doing that right now. We get into that uh, close to the end of the podcast. But if anything, I really just hope that Quincy serves as an example that if you have a dream or you have a goal or if you just have a business idea that you think is really cool, um, you should pursue it. And so I really want to thank him for coming on. I wish him the best for uh, R&D Coffee, you know, it's uh, over a year old now, just recently, and I really wanted to congratulate him on that, and I was really happy to have him on the podcast. So, yeah, I mean, I really hope you all get to take away a lot about his story of building the coffee uh, restaurant that he has built, and I really hope you just get some uh, great insight from him because he, you know, he goes into detail about how he went into different coffee bars and, you know, collected data, and while some of it might not have been useful, some of it was, and it's that dedication and determination that I think you're going to need to take when you are starting your own business uh, for the first time, no matter what age. So, like I said, thank you so much for coming on, and I hope you all are doing well. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey man, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm Quincy Randolph, a pop-up chef and co-owner of R&D Coffee in Roanoke, Virginia. And I'm happy to be awesome. here. Good. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited to chat. Uh, I've, you know, We connected over a year ago on Instagram and just watching you build your business and seeing you kind of go out on your own to do this has been something interesting. So I really wanted to have you on and chat about that and obviously chat about how you're doing in terms of the pandemic and everything. But before we get into that, first, I'd like to know uh, where you're from and what food was like for you growing up. Yeah, so I'm from Richmond, Virginia. Um, food for me growing up, it was very family-oriented. 
Um, so all my memories stem from like everybody in my family was kind of a home cook. There is no like one designated person. You know, I'd have an aunt who'd be in the kitchen making like lasagna and yeast rolls from scratch. I had a, a grandfather who always liked to cook a bunch of collard greens and, you know, make stews, roast pork. Um, my mom would like make cakes for our birthday. Uh, and my dad was actually kind of one of the even more creative ones. I remember very clearly he loved to make chess pies, um, but he was okay. no pastry chef. So he would get um, flavored Kool-Aid packets and he would use those to try to flavor all of his like various crazy uh, chess pie flavors. So I remember coming home and he'd be like, oh, I try this watermelon chess pie. But there's like no real watermelon in it. It would just be like a chess pie flavored with like watermelon Kool-Aid flavoring. Uh, let's just say it was not the greatest. Okay, well, that's interesting. Um, so I guess what what interested you into cooking then? I think just, you know, I kind of have like one of those traditional cooking stories in the sense of like uh, I didn't really fit in in like the any kind of traditional group when I was younger around like high school, or whatever, like it wasn't like a misfit, but just the traditional college route didn't interest me. Um, and I enrolled in like this high school, like really high end cooking program for like high school students and started excelling. Um, and then I just started taking it really seriously. I started reading, you know, tons of cookbooks and practicing on my own. And I was making like crumb brulees at home and that turned into, you know, buying whole chickens, from the grocery store and deboning those at home when I was like 14. And then my mom had to figure out what we were going to do with all these chicken. And I was just making like, like tons and tons of chicken fricassee. Uh, and then eventually that led me to culinary school, which is where I really kind of got serious and, and started my career um, out in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. And what was that like? It was good. Um, you know, you think you know a whole lot when you're in culinary school. And if you think you're doing well in culinary school, you think you know a whole, whole lot. Um, so I was kind of like this egotistical teenager. I was like, I, I graduated high school early. So I started culinary school when I was uh, 16 and I was all, I was off my own. You know, my parents are still in Virginia. So I just felt like really ambitious and I like that. I was like taking over the world. Uh, and I felt like I was crushing in culinary school, which led me to think that I actually like knew what I was doing, uh, which mm. was a big mistake by the time I got into like my first real kitchen, honestly. Okay. And why is that? Um, well, because like I just I got a job. So I was still in school, but I, I got a job at kind of like this nice like upscale kind of like European German in inspired restaurant. And, you know, this... I was the culinary student cooking alongside a bunch of like seasoned professionals. You know, these guys, I, I was, I had turned 17, but these guys were, you know, 24, 25, 26 years old, been in the industry for years, kind of like typical, mm -hmm. like tatted up, like very seasoned cooks, didn't go to culinary school, learned everything they knew out in the field. Um, and then here I was bright eyed, you know, checkered pants, um, you know, neckerchief coming with my chef school knives thinking I knew anything at all. Uh, and I was just, you know, they started cooking circles around me and they weren't polite about it either. Uh, it was a very much like a, you know, keep up or get out kind of situation. And, uh, it, it humbled me very quickly. Okay. And so then what was your move after that? Uh, so I started to kind of get my feet under me cooking in Louisville. Um, but 
of course, you know, everyone has like huge aspirations. Um, and you know, I'd heard about like the Michelin guide and James Beard awards and, and restaurants of that nature. Um, so I started looking at all the cool cookbooks and, and looking at all the cool chefs I followed. Um, and I was like, I want to go work at like one of their restaurants. So I remember sending out just kind of like a widespread 20 emails to various Michelin starred restaurants all around the country, um, asking if I could like stage or intern or whatever that, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and one of the first ones that got back to me, uh, was Blackbird restaurant in Chicago. And they're like, Hey, like, you know, if you stage and we like you and it's like a good fit, you know, we'll have a internship spot opening up in a few months. Uh, so, I packed up my bags and went to Chicago for a bit and tried to get an internship at Blackbird and was successful. All right. And how was working at Blackbird? And this is going to be long because I have only so, so many great things to say about working at Blackbird. <laughs> um, first off, I'll, and, you know, the internship. So I was 17 uh, when, and I thought I had been humbled beforehand, right? So I had been cooking in Louisville. And I'd gotten kind of, you know, my feet wet underneath me there. But I had no idea what a Michelin star kitchen was going to be like. And I just got there and I was intimidated. And I remember my hands shaking. Um, uh, Ryan Pfeiffer at the time, he was the executive sous chef over there. Uh, after a few days, he started introducing me to people, the other cooks, the other chefs, you know, the general manager. Uh, I just remember being like bright eyed and like scared. Um but slowly, you know, you just start to absorb everything that's going on. Like I just started watching intently and picking up more and more and more knowledge um, to the point that I was like, this is how I want to cook. Um, so I left Blackbird after like a, a fairly successful internship of a few months, um, went back and finished culinary school in Louisville, Kentucky. But I was actually okay. intimidated. Like I was like, even if I go back right now after culinary school, I don't think I would be able to keep up at the level of like uh, what a what a real line cook should be able to do at the time. Um, so I spent some more time cooking in Louisville post culinary school, and then I even went and cooked in Cincinnati for about a year before uh, applying for a job at Blackbird and eventually moving to Chicago to work out there. All right, awesome. And what was it like moving to Chicago? I mean, it's a big city. There's a lot going on. Uh, what was your first experience like? It is. Uh, I was just kind of dumb, honestly. Like, I moved to Chicago by myself. I got, a, like, a super tiny apartment. Uh, you know, that's just what you have to do to survive. You know, I'm sure you, every other line cook out there, and especially in a big city, knows that, like, more often than not, you're not living, like, this glamorous, luxurious lifestyle. Uh, but I didn't know anybody in Chicago. In fact, I didn't know anybody in the Midwest, so I was there only to work. I wasn't even old enough to go to, to bars in the meantime. So once I got the job, <laughs> I was just my knives, my cookbooks and work. I'd work, I would read, I would do a little bit of writing on the side and it was kind of rinse repeat for pretty much the first year. You know, I think it took me a whole year to actually feel like I was like settled in, in Chicago and, and at the restaurant. Okay. I mean, yeah, that's interesting. You know, it must've been I mean, I, I would have been a little anxious going somewhere where I really knew no one, um, and obviously starting in a place that was going to be demanding and ask a lot out of you, but obviously you did well there. Um, after that first year, like, I guess after you put in a year, did you feel a lot more confident, or, or like, were you happy that you made the decision? Like, what After that first 
the year benchmark, how much more uh, confident were you in your own ability and your ability to be living in the city and being a cook in Chicago? After the the first year, you know, it doesn't all the the confidence in you know your own abilities. It doesn't come instantly. I think confidence maybe came a little bit after a year, but it took a year for me to just be able to work at the restaurants, like work uh, at Blackbird, but be able to focus on more than the prep and the execution of my own station. You know, there's so many moving parts to a restaurant, like, and this is one thing that I've been very thankful that uh, you know Ryan and all the team members at Blackbird were able to teach me during my time there is that you know so much more goes into being like a business owner or a chef owner or even just the running of a restaurant than you know executing mise en place and executing service you know you have personal relationships you have to manage you have financial obligations you have to manage you have you know unexpected problems that occur you know always constantly putting out fires so after my first year of being there well it wasn't like you know it wasn't like I was neo in the matrix and all of a sudden I could see the code but like slowly but surely I was able to prep my station and prep my station efficiently while also, you know, recognizing other dynamics happening, you know, how does the restaurant respond when the orders come in late? How does the restaurant respond when somebody calls out sick? How does the restaurant respond when, you know, all of a sudden we have a lot of walk-ins coming at once and the kitchen is overwhelmed at like 7.30 and, and we're supposed to be full, but yet somehow, you know, more and more tables apparently magically appear and more and more guests are coming into the restaurant. Um, <laughs> and slowly but surely, kind of like over the next year, I think I started to see like the restaurant in its entirety, you know, more than just the savory kitchen or the prep of my station, I started to really see kind of what Blackbird was about. And and that was awesome. And that gave me confidence to be like, okay, like I know how to cook and I want to learn how to actually run a business. Like, let me start doing some things on my own. Like, let me start with some pop-up dinners. Let me go stage at other restaurants. Let me go, you know, have meetings with, you know, investors who will laugh me out the room because, you know, I'm a a 21 year old with a business plan asking for $500,000, but it's all of it's still valuable experience, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I bet. And, um, I mean, so I guess what were some dishes that you really enjoyed cooking while at Blackbird? Hmm. Just dishes I enjoyed cooking. A lot of the ones during kind of like some of my later months um, stand out. Uh, We did different variations of it, but I remember when uh, Chef put what was essentially this fancy lobster toast or this fancy lobster sandwich on the the menu. Um, And it was a lobster upon, so, you know, um, it was like a lobster and shrimp mousseline sandwiched in between uh, two very thin slices of brioche. Uh, and then mm-hmm. on the pickup, it would get, you know, lightly toasted on both sides and basted with a bit of butter. Um, and depending on the menu, we'd serve it a few different ways. But I think my particular favorite was we'd take that little piece um, and then we'd put like a little bit of like truffle aioli on top of it, a little bit of uh, chopped up candied ginger, uh, and then like grate a bunch of black truffle on top of it. And that was. That was awesome. That sounds really good. Yeah. yeah. No, that sounds good. 
horse riders um, too, I think for a while, you know, things change so much there that you know, have to kind of think about it in bits and pieces, but that dish was awesome. Okay. And so how long, so remind me, how long were you at Blackbird? Uh, just the hair under two years. Just under uh, two years. Okay. Yeah. Not counting the internship time, but that doesn't, that was just like, I was a baby then you can't really count that. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, and so, you know, as you progress through Blackbird, what, I guess, made you want to leave Chicago or leave working in that restaurant? Uh, really just my own ambition and then kind of like following that, uh, just an opportunity. Honestly, I, I think if a very kind of like realistic and I, and I felt achievable opportunity for me to, to run my own business, wouldn't have come up. Like there's a chance that I would like still be at Blackbird you know, right now, which would have, you know, been a little bit over three years. Um, but just kind of like right around the two year mark, you know, I had all these ambitions. I had written this business plan that I thought was super solid and had put it in front of people. And I gotten to the point where like, you know, people I felt like were actually reading it. Um, but breaking through in any restaurant market is extremely hard. And then especially in Chicago where you have so many famous or established chefs or people with more avenues for resources, wanting to open up businesses and with tons of concepts, it's near impossible for once again, uh, like a 21, 22 year old with no resources and no real name to himself to kind of like get enough traction to, to open up a, a full fledged restaurant in Chicago. Although I think it's, mm-hmm. you know, worth dreaming. Um, and then, you know, in combination with like some of the connections my brother had made out in Roanoke, which is a tiny city, you know, population of like a hundred thousand, um, became an opportunity for a cafe, uh, which I, I to truth be told I didn't like the opportunity at first um because okay. I think a a small part of me thought that I was kind of like running away from being like a like a fine dining line cook or like my aspirations of having like a fine dining restaurant um but then you know I started reading tons of culinary memoirs and, and just more books to kind of like try to figure out what the the right path was and I was like, well, I'm young. Like, this could be a stepping stone to to having a fine dining restaurant in the future. Uh, and the, the only way I'm going to convince kind of like investors later on that I can, you know, run a successful restaurant is if I open up a much smaller business, run that successfully, build a name for myself that way, and kind of have a proven track record. Because that's what, you know, at the end of the day, being a chef is still like a business decision. And if you want to be a chef owner, like you have to be fairly good at business. Um, so that's kind of what ultimately led me to kind of take a chance and, and leave the effective comfort of Blackbird. Because after, you know, about coming up on two years, I was finally kind of comfortable working at the restaurant, as silly as that sounds, uh, that I didn't have like nerves going into service or trying to complete my prep list every day. Uh, mm-hmm. so I, I wanted to do something out of my comfort zone again. Okay. Um, I want to get into the coffee, uh, in a second, but first I want to touch upon what you were saying about how you kind of felt, um, odd or at odds that you were leaving fine dining. And this is something, it's a theme that I've, uh, talked to a lot of cooks about, um, on the podcast, off the podcast, through the Instagram. Um, it's just this like weird idea that because, you know, I think we see the industry, a lot of people tend to see the industry as fine dining being at the top 
and everything else below it not good enough. And uh, I think it does take a lot of uh, um, awareness of self and, you know, awareness of what you want to shift and do something that isn't fine dining once you've been in it. And I think once you do that, you realize that, you know, fine dining isn't necessarily the top. It's just another facet of the industry. And you can be really good at doing something else. Um, how long did it take you to get through that process? And uh, I mean, how, how challenging was it to kind of reframe your thoughts on where you would be standing in the industry? Oh, it was incredibly challenging. Um, and I'm going to backtrack even further. So like when I was in culinary school, I had like kind of like this like like douchebag elitist mindset that like fine dining was the end all be all uh and like everything else was like just like not good enough um and then surprisingly moving in to chicago to work at blackbird is actually where that thought process started to change you know the team and all the chefs at Blackbird were so down to earth so humble yet so skilled uh you know they would always talk about their favorite restaurants and very rarely were any of their favorite restaurants other fine dining establishments you know they were places like uh, avec or places like Ashval or you know mm. just like or like you know like their favorite food was like a chicago dog and that was kind of eye-opening to me because i didn't expect it you know like i expected to hear the names of all the other kind of like well-established michelin starred restaurants but like that usually wasn't the case uh and to make a long story short it during my time at blackbird i, I learned that like all food can be exceptional and like good food, but like everything just has its own place and its own time. You know, a really great hot dog may be just as good as a really great foie torchon. It just depends on like the situation and each one serves its purpose. Um, so slowly over years, I kind of dropped the, the kind of fine dining elitist mentality. Um, and then it, it probably took me a, like a good month of reflection to, to, make the jump officially because while I still do cooking and I still do like tasting menus, it's much more sporadically. Like there's a part of me for a while that didn't want to take this opportunity to kind of open a cafe and then do pop-up dinners and collaborations on the side because I thought like mm -hmm. I was giving up the quote unquote idea of like what it is to be like a traditional chef. Um, but I think that's just like a falsehood that a lot of specifically like younger cooks fall into initially because that's, you know, the fine dining world is kind of what's, you know, glamorized the James Beard Awards, the Michelin stars. Those are the people who get like a ton of the recognition, but there's so many other facets of cooking that I, I think people who haven't, even if they're in fine dining right now, if they haven't cooked at a different level or another level, they should they should take some time to, to do it because like that's how you become really well rounded. Yeah, I would totally agree. I mean, this idea, like you were saying, of just overcoming yourself and kind of. I mean, I was the same way when I was in culinary school. Uh, much of the time, mm. when I was in culinary school, I thought I was going to have a Michelin star. Um, I thought I was one of the best cooks in the class, um, and I remember like. Uh, when I had left school, there was this co the Comey competition. I remember I had applied and I had really solid references and I really uh, thought I was going to make it in just based on references, resume. And I remember that day, like not making it in and being crushed, like on the way home, like almost in tears from my job and realizing that um, it's kind of crazy that I based all of my happiness on whether or not I was going to be accepted into this world of fine dining that had only entered my life like two years ago, like before, like I got went to culinary school or got into restaurants like there was um 
there, like, I didn't know what any of this stuff was. And it really made me really think and revalue what it does mean for me to be a chef. Because, I, like you said, like, I think you can get caught up and glamorized in the lifestyle of wanting to be a Michelin star chef and wanting to be successful and famous and whatever it is we aspire to be. But at the end of the day, it, it, uh, if it, if it's too much and it's too much of an obsession, it will ultimately dictate your happiness. And I think that's what worries me a lot. And I was really like surprised and really like impressed that you decided to take up your own venture. And not only at such a young age, but you know, leaving a Michelin star restaurant to go open your own place is something that can be challenging and I'm sure you did have your challenges but I'm sure it's so rewarding to have had that experience and to have been kind of your own boss and create and make connections through your own contacts and on your own skill set I mean how I mean so like what was it like opening the you know the restaurant and what it has what were you nervous while opening it or were you like just all in on opening a place around coffee uh I was pretty much all in you know there's it, once I, I made the decision to, to leave Chicago, I didn't really have any, any backup plans. Um, so we got to work immediately. And from day one of arriving in, in Roanoke, it was kind of just all go. And while, you know, my brother had a lot of the initial coffee knowledge, like I had to do a lot of catch up. I was crushing. I was reading like, you know, like 300 pages of like coffee knowledge books like a day for like the first two weeks just to like before like while the the actual space was being built out um but even more than that like you don't realize how much knowledge you've just absorbed um just kind of like naturally until you have to like put it to use like all of a sudden like there's nobody to like call to approve something or like no no one's office to go to and be like hey i have a question about this so it's like oh like i need to go get a business license like i need to have a tax identification number like i need to you know converse with the health department about like an inspection coming up and oh like the fire marshal's nearby and he wants to you know check out the space and look at all the permits like who's in charge like oh that's me like i'm the one who has to like you know like I'm supposed to be quote unquote off today. Like it's a rest day, but like today's the day that like one of the news outlets wants to cover like our pre-opening. So like, let me go put on a tie and walk down to the business to like say some words to somebody with a camera. Um, so it was a lot of fun. Like I'm actually like, I'm smiling thinking about those memories cause it was all so new and so fresh and, and you learn so much on the way. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it came without like, nervousness like of course like without going into many specifics like this was the the biggest financial risk i had taken in my career uh i mean it still is like especially with everything that's going on we're not necessarily out of the woods yet but that you'll know, probably touch more on that later um but as a, a cook or an under chef or a sous chef or whatever your your tier is you know pretty much up until you're an owner like sure you know you need money and you need your paycheck but your actual financial risk is is very low. You know, if something happens and the restaurant closes down, like you may be out of a job, but usually you're not, you know, in the red. Whereas like if in this case, if this didn't work out or something happened very early on and, and we were first to close, which, you know, thankfully didn't happen. But if it had, like I would be in, in a significant, like the worst financial spot I'd ever been in my life, like bar none by a large margin. Um, so that was a bit nerve wracking, but uh, just kind of believing in yourself goes a long way. And I know that sounds like cheesy and corny and what it may be, um, 
But if you believe in yourself, you'll, you'll be surprised at how much you can accomplish, even if you feel like the odds are against you, or even if you feel like you have less experience than, uh, you know, and your peers normally do when they, when they open their own venture, a lot can be done with determination and belief. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely agree. And, um, I mean, just following your story, I mean, you, you've inspired me in terms of what you've been able to accomplish. I know, you know, I saw you were in the 40 under 40, um, which was really cool to see. And, you know, I did see like the press you were getting for R and D. Um, were you surprised at how, I don't know, I, I don't want to relate line cook thoughts to a business, but I remember when I started it, um, I was really nervous of what people would say, but most of it was really just positive support, uh, to go ahead and keep going. And I'm sure for you, that was, you know, multiplied by 10 because, uh, you know, it being a tangible business, people going in there daily, were you surprised that, uh, when you opened, I mean, I'm sure, like you said, there were challenges, but when you opened, was it like very positive? Like were people supporting you a ton? Cause it seemed like you had a pretty good, um, group of people around you helping you make this, uh, come true and helping it be successful. Yeah, and the team has grown since then too. But their opening team, they're the people who helped us, people who, you know I consulted with, they're, they're all fantastic. But opening day was there's there's been support since even before opening day. Honestly, just like the the neighborhood we're in, you know the the friends and family who helped spread the word initially. I mean, like our opening day, like we I got crushed worse than I'd ever had on on a line. It was just. You know, it was a small business. Like we, we have probably, if we're at capacity, we seat 38 people. Um, and there is nobody sitting because, you know, it's a little bit different. There's no reservations or anything. People just come in. Sometimes they get, you know, a drink and a bite and they sit. Sometimes they just get their coffee or whatever it is and they leave. And we just had a line out the door and halfway around the block. Like there's, there's no room to sit. Everyone was standing and it was, it was absolutely nuts. Um, but even since then, the the support hasn't wavered. Uh, yeah, it's kind of been mind blowing, you know, like getting to see people come in and just happy to see you, happy to get whatever their beverages or their food option is. It, it, it's insane. Um, yeah, there's there's nothing quite like it, honestly. Like I'm I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> no, I can imagine. Uh, take me into like the so obviously I would love to hear like first the concept and like the meaning of the name, and we can kind of get into what you serve and what your menu is like. Yeah, so R and D stands for Roasters Next Door, which is a emphasis on like our coffee operation. You know, freshly roasted beans right here locally in in the neighborhood of Wasina, which is uh, the neighborhood where the business is in Roanoke. Um, and then it's also a play on kind of like R and D research and development, and just that we wanted to do something cool and, and kind of specifically culinary um, focused around coffee whether it's coffee drinks or the small bites of food we serve or the kind of um events we do and and those are the kind of three things that that i am i spearhead all the time and it also kind of like satisfies my you know traditional um chef itch you know i'll do pop-ups at restaurants where i collaborate with restaurants in town to do kind of you know five course tasting menus are my go-to because you know when you're in a smaller city uh you have to adapt. You, you know, I have no desire to try to bring Michelin or you know 
12 or 13 course tasting menus to Roanoke. Like that's not what my guests here are looking for. Um, but five courses at like a reasonable price point, like that's something that I feel like can work most places. And, and that's something that people have been really receptive to. Um, and then in addition to that, we have kind of like, um, like a seasonal chef inspired drink menu, which, you know, once again, people think, Oh, a drink menu, aren't we just talking about coffee or lattes? And to a degree we are like, they are still coffee drinks, but I know, um, some people, and one of the things that have gotten us a good amount of press are how different some of our drinks are. You know, I did a black garlic and maple cappuccino, which, you know, a lot of people, Hmm. especially in a smaller town, like a lot of them didn't even know what black garlic was. And the idea of, you know, infusing black garlic in with coffee, uh, was a very foreign concept to them. Um, but that was a very popular drink. Um, one that we had right before we decided to close our doors due to circumstances right now was a, uh, gochujang mocha latte. So kind of like a play on your traditional Mexican hot chocolate. Um, but rather than like any, you know, chilies of that nature, um, we would blend, you know, gochujang paste, uh, with espresso to order, um, and then add a little bit of honey to kind of like bind the two, a good bridge between like the sweetness and the spice and the coffee, um, yeah. and then, you know, build the latte on top of that base. And so it would be a much more kind of complex spice and like richness to the beverage than like a Mexican hot chocolate uh, and just things like that on the food in, you know, and this is a one where I kind of had to swallow, not, not swallow my pride. That's not what I want to say exactly, but you know, I can't, you know, try to emulate Michelin, start cooking it out of my space. It's, that's not what it's built for. You know, like that would me, that would be me trying to force my kind of like chefiness onto my guests. So mm-hmm. I had to take a step back and just be like, I want to do very simple things really well and add some creative moments where I can. So, you know, for a while we did like a, a bagel with a, you know, horseradish and truffle cream cheese that got like chives, cured egg yolk and like shaved black truffle on it. Like that was probably like as fancy as we got for a while, but like it was still very executable in like a cafe setting. And then like with some of the pastries, one that was like really cool, at least that I thought was really cool. It was just like a really nice brownie, um, but I would infuse uh, kombu with the milk. So I would have this kombu milk in the brownie base. And then I would also get like a dusting of like nori uh, powdered sugar on top. So it was was a seaweed brownie and just kind of trying to be creative and and fun in those kinds of aspects. Um, You know, I think that's what it's all about when you kind of venture onto like a a non-traditional chef venture. It's not about like putting like your line cooking skills or, or your chef thought process to the side. Um, it's about incorporating that in, in, in kind of like a new and interesting way. Yeah, no, I mean, you're, I mean, the menu is obviously interesting and I think it's cool that you're blending flavors and different techniques to make like new experiences on coffee. I mean, you know, coffee is something that, for a majority of us, we consume every day. And so to have a place that, you know, offers solid, good coffee, but then also expands on it and tries to rethink what it could be. I think that's very interesting. Um, how many, uh, or how much knowledge of coffee did you have before, uh, opening up the, you know, the restaurant? Like, was it a passion of yours always, or is like, I guess, you know, how did you, did you like research a lot about coffee once you realized this is what you wanted to do? Did you meet with local roasters like what was that process like to get more knowledgeable about coffee itself 
Yeah, my coffee knowledge is very baselined while I was in Chicago. You know, I was just getting bits and pieces of information through my brother. Um, but once I knew I was going to kind of commit, I started. And, and once again, I'm a you know a hospitality guy. I've been in restaurants my professional career. Uh, and so even more so than just the coffee knowledge, like there are, there are books for that, but I wanted to capture like the best parts about like the atmosphere of a cafe. So I started going to various coffee shops in Chicago and just sitting for hours, people watching, like I was like, uh, I was probably, I bet people probably thought I was like a, some creepy kid <laughs> just like sitting at a coffee shop with books, just writing, but like looking up and like staring at people. Um, you know, I tried to journal like when guests got upset because something didn't go wrong and, and what could have been the cause, you know, like what baristas were doing when things were really busy, what they were doing when things were slow, you know, how often people, you know, didn't sit somewhere because the table was kind of dirty, what the most popular seats in various coffee shops were, you know, how people responded to, you know, good Wi-Fi, bad Wi-Fi, like, you know, some of it ended up being almost like useless knowledge, but like, you know, the more data you have before, before you open your venture, you know, the more, the more information you have to work with. So, you know, my, my coffee knowledge was low uh, until I started reading tons of books and that kind of brought it up to par quickly, but kind of like, I don't know, my general hospitality knowledge was high. I'd, I'd paid a lot of, t- of attention to a lot of the general managers I'd seen work um, during my restaurant times and, and how they went about cultivating the best experience for the guests. So I tried to kind of emulate some of their tactics to give me the information that I had to to kind of put, you know, my cafe uh, one step ahead of the competition. Okay, that's really cool. Um, and so when you started uh, opening the restaurant, I mean, you said you had a pretty large following on day one. How much marketing did you do beforehand, and what was it like to market your product and kind of get into your local community? And how important would you say for anyone looking to start a new business is it for you to be ingrained in your local community like it seems that you've been able to do? I would say it's imperative, uh, especially if you're in like a smaller city. You know, like in your bigger cities, you know, maybe it's all about how the traditional media portrays you, you know, your food critics, um, your super popular Instagram bloggers, like that all probably makes more headway in bigger cities. Um, but when you're in like a small city or even a town, arguably, like it's it's all about the grassroots movement. Um, you know, we didn't take out any ads or or promotions of, of that regard, you know, like while our main space was being built, it was just like let's do pop-ups, you know, let's do coffee pop-ups, let's do food pop-ups. And, you know, I think you have to kind of identify who your target market's going to be. And then, you know, I don't think other local businesses should be seen as enemies, right? Like it's all, you know, competition. Everyone knows competition is is good for business overall. Um, So I started going to other like local chefs in town or, you know, other coffee professionals in town and being like, hey, like, I'm a new kid on the block, like, please, like, lend me some guidance. Like, if you don't want to, I understand that if you feel like that's proprietary, but like, how have you handled this situation in the past? Like, what would you do in this situation? Like, I had no qualms about, you know, because all, all the only reason you want to do that is pride, right? Yeah. Like, if there are people who are, you know, in a business that is like similar or comparable to you and have knowledge that like would benefit you, the only reason you want to ask them about it is because like you're too prideful. 
So I set aside my pride and I just started asking a bunch of people questions. And, and more often than not, like everyone was so kind that they gave me tons of information and, and tips and um, pitfalls to look out for. Um, and just, you know, it was all grassroots. And I, I think the, that's the way it has to be done, especially like, you know, if you don't have like a well-established name, like you have to you have to build one. You can't just buy one through advertisements, you know? Yeah. No, I definitely could see like, you know, how important it is to reach out and be involved. Um, and I guess, you know, going more so on social media side, what's it been like to build up your social media presence? Cause that's obviously something I'm interested in. Um, it's been fun, but also complicated. I don't think people realize how much goes into good social media. Like I, I now understand while rest, why restaurant groups and restaurants hire people who can, you know, who's that's their full-time job, right. Is to create, you know, good approachable content while letting the restaurant kind of focus on being the restaurant. Uh, we didn't have a budget for that. So all of our social media has been done in house, you know, either with my brother and I in a camera and then one of us being on the other side of the camera and it takes a lot of work, you know, like if you're at your business for, you know, 12 to 14 hours and you have to come home and do payroll and paperwork for, let's say, at a bare minimum two, you know, it doesn't leave a ton of time to be like, all right, let's like, let's go shoot like, uh, like a little skit for this new product we want to launch. But like, those are the days where you just kind of have to be really efficient with your time and, try to be like, all right, like we're going to save 10 minutes here, 15 minutes here and a half hour here to give us 120 minutes. I don't know if that math actually adds up to give us like 120 minutes to, you know, to go shoot a video because social media is important. And I think any restaurant that's not really embracing social media or would tell you that it's overrated is either well-established enough that they don't need it or uh, is foolish. Mm Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I mean, um, so we, we we took the approach of just doing quality over quantity. We don't we don't post a ton, um, but we we like to think that when we do post, it's you know something worth looking or or watching. You know? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, well, I mean, so you before we started talking, you said that you know you're coming up on being a year old. Uh, what was the like? I guess you know as the year progressed, uh, what were some challenges you faced that you weren't expecting? in terms of being a first-time business owner? Uh, you'll never be prepared for payroll. Like, you can imagine it. You can have the numbers in your in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you actually are watching that counts and running the payroll yourself and seeing, you know, your percentages, that was tough because I was like, oh, my goodness, like, I'm a failure. Like, all my experience, like, how do I not know how to do this by now? And that was me being dramatic, you know, slowly, you know, I was able to get the payroll numbers in line. But, uh, you know, that's kind of like the more traditional pitfall, like payroll, you know, labor costs will will kill you if you're not careful. Um, Also scheduling, you know, like more often than not, a lot of, you know, cooks or chefs are working at bigger restaurants where scheduling is daunting. But in the sense, that's like you just have so many moving parts Um, for us. You know, we have a team of five. And, and we like to, you know, if somebody is having a wedding and somebody else is sick, that's two people out. Like, it just means that as an owner, like, I'm working, you know, like, 
multiple like 14 hour days throughout the week. And that's just how it has to be. Um, and accepting that wasn't really a struggle, but that's, you know, you have to be willing to set aside everything for the business at kind of like a moment's notice. And, and, you know, people always say that people should expect that when opening a business, but once you have to do it, like once it's right in front of you, um, it can kind of wear on you. So like experiences like that, you know, wear you down and, and definitely something to look out for. The kind of one other thing that like, I would just say I wasn't really like ready for is just like, every like things just go wrong you know coolers go down you know the the city has power outages that like they try to schedule this one got us a couple times i got really frustrated for like a a few months but the city kept having power outages in our area and they tried to schedule them during like not premier business times which was like you know like seven in the morning to like noon Mm -hmm. well when you're like a coffee shop slash cafe like that's my peak, you know, like that might be great for like a lot of other businesses in town, but like you're killing 75% of my business for that day. Like it's, I can't even open up um, and kind of like not fighting the city, but talking with the city about like, Hey, like, you know, is there any way I can get some reimbursement for this? Like who knows how much you cost me and like business loss for this day. Plus like future guests who won't come back. Cause you know, they've come and it's been closed two days out of this week. And so, you know, just you just have to be adaptable you know nothing's it's not always going to go your way okay yeah no i mean i definitely um you know i can understand that you know i've I've worked with a couple of chefs who have started their own businesses and it's definitely challenging you know things just sometimes come up or don't go your way and i think that more so is life as well but uh no i think that's what makes you good is your ability to adapt to all that um and speaking of adapting, you know, I do want to get into what's going on now because I know it's affecting everyone, including yourself. And I just wanted to first off ask how you were doing during this and then kind of get into how you've been able to, I guess, get through this so far. Yeah, I mean, I think from a, a mental standpoint, I'm doing OK. I'm thankful that, you know, I and, and my loved ones are, are healthy. Um but yeah, just, you know, we're, we're not special in the sense like we had to, to lay people off and that was hard, you know, like that was hard as a first year business owner to have to lay people off for something completely out of my control. You know, like I, I kind of, I felt like a failure mm-hmm. because there's like nothing I could do, but it's like, there's no, like all the, all the chefs I worked for, all the knowledge I had absorbed culinary school, like nothing there was no pandemic planning or if there was, I missed that day in class because I was not ready. Um, but you can't sulk, you know, like it's going to be hard for, for everybody. And it's going to be the people who adapt quickly, who survive. You know, I myself have been listening to a ton of podcasts and whatnot. And I was actually listening to the, the uh, Dave Chang's podcast the other day. And he was talking about how, it's kind of like playing like offense and defense, you know, like first, you know, you, you like the pandemic hits, you play defense, you try to assess the situation. Um, but it's going to be kind of like the concepts and the restaurants that go on the attack first, you know, figure out how to, cause truth be told, like, I don't think um, the restaurant landscape is ever going to go back to what it was before no. COVID-19 or if it is, it's going to take 20 years, you know, it's not going back anytime soon. Um, so, and, you know, while some people, you know, hate this idea, like I think delivery is going to be very prominent. And, and if you have a, you know, I think 
um, you know, I'm thankful that we have a business model that uh, fits delivery fairly well, or at least better than, you know, a lot of restaurants uh, do. Um, and then I also think just like direct to consumer goods is going to be a big part of like restaurant and the food services future. You know, I know for us, this was a perfect time for us to kind of get our online sales up and going. And, and that has been incredibly popular shipping coffee beans or delivering coffee beans right to, to doorsteps and and same with like bottled cold brew. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I think the restaurants that kind of also embrace this and find ways to, whether it's like local delivering, like, you know, various types of like pickles or charcuterie or meat goods or, you know, cook this at home kits. Like that's something I've seen being really popular. It's like bake this at home kits from our restaurant or cook this at home kits from our restaurant. You know, it, it it's, it's not going to be the cooking that most, if any of us imagine for our careers. Um, but it's, it's, it's either going to be that like, you know, adapt to something new and, and different or, or change careers, which like, it sucks to say out loud, but like, I think that's just how it's going to be. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And, um, yeah, you know, and I think you're in an interesting position because, you know, you, like you said, coffee is very, I want to say, I don't want to say easy because it's going to take a lot of work, but it's definitely more, I guess, accessible in a to-go setting because you can bottle it and you can, deliver it and like you said the cold brew and all that those are drinks that are already out there whereas restaurants have this massive challenge of you know boxing up food that would typically only be on plates and wouldn't really be offered to go so i do think that you are in an interesting spot where you can kind of pivot and become a very large seller of coffee online yeah i mean like and, and we had already had plans to do this, but it was in our infrastructure for like another, like, you know, we were building out the infrastructure slowly to kind of like launch it all simultaneously, like another six months, another year's time, maybe, you know, at our year and a half or second year mark, we'd really have like the online sales going and, you know, barcodes. That was something silly that I struggled with for a long time was how to get barcodes for products. Um, but to get that in the grocery stores, which is another avenue we're exploring right now, we got in our first grocery store, you know, about three weeks ago. And, and that was kind of an interesting experience being able to go somewhere um, and see your product on the shelves right along with like, you know, Lay's chips and, you know, Starbucks or, or whatever other name brand products you might see. Um, but rather than this being in, you know, next year and six months, it instantly shot to like the top of our priority list. And, you know, my brother and I were working overtime, you know, hours upon hours on end to, to kind of scramble and get all this together because like our, our business model changed effectively overnight. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm sure like it has been tough, but, you know, it is a new challenge and I wish you the best in it and anything you need promoted or shared. I mean, I'm not sure how, like how, I guess, how far out can you ship your coffee and your products? Um, right now, countrywide, I think last time we counted, we have uh, put coffee in, in, in 40 states so far. Oh, wow. Um, which I, I, you know, we're, we're very proud and, you know, we're trying to build out once again, more infrastructure to, you know, hopefully one, get into larger grocery stores, uh, and have build a bigger team to, you know, like, like David Chang mentioned, like we're trying to stay on the offensive. And once again, like, I'm very thankful that like, it's a little bit easier for a coffee product than it would be for any type of, especially like fine dining restaurant or, or mom and pop, you know, food service restaurant to kind of switch gears 
Um, but with that said, we're, we're just trying to, to do as much as, as we can. Um, but yeah, so like right now, uh, whole coffee beans, ground coffee beans, coffee products, ronocoffee.com will ship it to you. We're ready. Ronocoffee.com. All right. Yeah. I'll share that, uh, with the podcast and I'll be sure to, um, try to promote that. If you want to send me some stuff, I'll put it on the page. Um, but yeah, I'm, you know, like I said, I wish you the best with it, and I'm excited to see hopefully that you all keep growing and that you're able to kind of transition and keep, you know, R&D Coffee going strong. You know, I really think it's a cool story that you've kind of told so far, and I think after this is all said and done, you're going to be such a strong person in terms of business and being able to advance your product that, I don't know, I, I just think it's going to be successful either way. So like I said, wish you the best of luck and hope it turns out well. Thanks, Ray. Are you much of a coffee drinker yourself? Like, I'd be happy to, to send you some beans or, you know, something along those lines if, if you want just to check out the product. And also just kind of like, thank you. Like, kind of love talking. So I'm super happy you, you invited me on uh, Line Cook Thoughts. And just kind of how you mentioned earlier in the episode, like we first connected almost like a year ago and watching your like channel and podcast grow is saying you've had so many chefs that i've followed their careers on and you've talked to so many different kinds of people that like more credit to you man it was awesome thank you and yeah i, I do uh, enjoy coffee um no i'll i'll set up an order and then yeah you know, just uh, you'll have to walk me through uh, or suggest something and we can go from there but yeah you know um yeah for me coffee is uh something i try to i, I mean i do drink every day but even more so now that i'm in quarantine trying to find I guess ways to keep it interesting or at least have that one cup every morning to kind of keep me motivated. Cause that's kind of, you know, for a lot of chefs, that's a ritual to have it in the morning and it is something special and it is something that keeps you going. So yeah, definitely. Um, but thank you for that. And I guess, uh, you know, besides coffee, besides running a business, what are some other things you found motivational during this time to keep you inspired and wanting to keep pushing forward? Hmm. besides coffee and besides the business i think just having healthy hobbies you know and once again i'm not special in that regard but like i've been doing a lot of um writing lately you know both like yeah like creative writing fictional writing just just something to kind of take my mind off of like all the the additional stresses Mm -hmm. um and also just kind of talking to people i haven't talked with in a long time whether it's like old friends or family you know we have to try to focus on like the the good and the positive aspects of life um just you know while not being ignorant to the situation just to kind of get a, a get a reprieve from it all right yeah no i definitely think it's important to have those healthy hobbies and kind of um you know be involved in something else um during this or to just stay fresh in some way so i'm glad to hear um but yeah i mean you know thank you so much for coming on i end my podcast the same way uh, and you've been a supporter from you know almost the very beginning so now that you're on the podcast uh i guess the question for you is what does it mean for you to be a part of the line cook nation a group of chefs cooks and food service people trying to come together to connect and grow and learn from each other yeah to me being a part of line cook nation just you know means being part of the the side of the industry that knows the struggle and and does it anyway the the side of the industry that knows what it takes to you know deliver that experience for your birthday or that special night out or or whatever the situation may be and and kind of doing it from behind the scenes with with a smile you know that's what hospitality and and line cook nation's all about yeah 
no, thank you for that. And you know, like I said, thank you for the support. And uh, we'll connect soon and hopefully have you back on in the future. All right. Thanks, Ray. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. All right. Thanks, Ray. I appreciate it. And there you have it, the interview with Quincy Randolph. Thank you so much for listening once again. I hope you all are doing well. And if you do have the time, please go over to Apple Podcasts, if that's how you listen to the podcast, and leave a rating. Uh, that really helps me grow. It allows me to get more uh, following, get more reach. And, yeah, like I said, if you like the podcast and you want to leave a review or if you have some critical feedback, I'm, I'm always open for that. Please leave it in the comments, you know. I've uh, really enjoyed reading those reviews because they give me good insight on what I need to work on. So anything at all you could think of, you know, feel free to, you know, put in the comments and thank you so much and I'll see you on the next episode.